Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Let's begin in prayer. Father, all we have to do is look on the news and see that we live in a violent, hateful, lustful, bitter world filled with prejudice, hatred, covetousness. That's a perverse world. For that, we pray that Jesus Christ come back soon. Because as we who profess to be disciples of Christ walk through this world, we end up We end up falling into traps and sinning. Father, for those times when we do, show us this morning as we look into your word that that there can be forgiveness when we occasionally betray you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Betrayal. Probably one of the best illustrations of betrayal I've ever seen in cinema is in the movie Braveheart where William Wallace has been betrayed by Robert the Bruce. He pulls the helmet off of a person he's about to kill, thinking it's one of the cohorts of Richard Longshanks, the king that he's fighting against, in order to win Scotland's freedom. And here he sees it's the king to whom he had given his allegiance. It's Robert the Bruce himself. It's the person for whom he was fighting and risking his life. And Mel Gibson just does such a great job of absolutely losing his breath. His legs get weak and he falls to the ground. He can't even talk. The tears form in his eyes as he's going, you betrayed me. And he finally just lays down to die while there's a cohort of enemy troops coming coming to kill him. When you are betrayed, that's what it feels like on the inside. We've all been betrayed at some point in life. All of us. And all of us betray. Other instances of betrayal that we see in history. Let me see how good you are. What famous betrayal took place March 15th, 44 BC? It's the Ides of March. And who was told to beware the Ides of March? Julius Caesar betrayed by his best friend, Brutus. Now, everybody says that, you know, Julius Caesar said, et tu, Brute, you know, and thou, Brutus. But that's from a Shakespeare play. I doubt that Julius Caesar, after receiving 23 stab wounds from his friends in the Senate, could say a whole lot. What about right after World War II? There was a married couple who sold our nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union. Can you remember the name of that couple who betrayed the United States of America? Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Absolutely. You are pretty good on your history here. And who in the Revolutionary War betrayed West Point? What general? Because he was, he was worried that he just wasn't getting enough recognition. Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Very good. Even the Three Stooges say Benedict Arnold at some point. Do you know, even locally, I have to confess a story of betrayal. Doug Jensen and I once betrayed David. 
we told him that he could go camping with us if he would just go downtown through the gully to the bakery and get us a cake and bring it back up to the campsite. David got there and Doug and I decided, we'll let you have a slice of cake, but then you gotta go. We betrayed it. See, you still remember that. That's a true, he still remembers that. Still, see, still hurts. <laughs> betrayal. You don't forget it. And betrayal, a lot of times, some people don't forgive it. We're going to talk about betrayal this morning, probably the most infamous betrayal of all time, where Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And we're going to be looking at Mark 14, verses 41 to 52. So if you'd like to follow along, please go to Mark 14, verses 41 to 52. I'm going to read through the text here so that we all have an idea of what's going on. And I'm going to start here as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's gone to pray three times, and three times come back and found the disciples sleeping. This is the third time he's come back and found the disciples sleeping, starting in verse 41. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving the guard the garment behind. This morning we're going to camp out for a while in Mark 14. And we want to look at what betrayal is. How, Jesus, how Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus Christ. How the disciples, not just Peter by three denials, but all the disciples that evening betrayed him, deserted him. And see, well, that's just how we betray Christ when we sin. And then we want to see how God handles betrayal. So let's look here at verses 41 to 43. The betrayer enters the garden. Verses 41 to 43. Jesus had returned the third time. And he says, it's going down now. Here starts the betrayal. I've told you about this. It's going to happen now. The hour has come. The time is here and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as predicted in John 13, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And at that point, Peter nudged John and said, you're the closest one to him. You're his best friend. Go ask him, who's the guy? And at that point, Jesus says, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread that I'm going to dip into the sop. He does that and gives it to Judas Iscariot and then says, go, do what you do quickly. 
At that point, Jesus left, and the disciples just kind of, huh? I don't think they caught it. Jesus gave them the sign. He showed them clearly, but the disciples seemed to not make a bit of sense of it. But it was just as predicted. And it was a single person doing the betraying, Judas Iscariot. Then the betrayer appears, just as he, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. Chosen by Christ, one of the twelve. That's why it's here to say, Judas, one of those personally chosen. In John 6, it actually mentions that he was chosen. John 6, 70. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. A chosen person. That would be like somebody close to you betraying you. Somebody in your own family betraying you. Maybe a spouse or a child betraying you. Think how that would sting. You'd never forget it. It would be a horrible experience. And Jesus knows it's coming. I'm going to be betrayed. I've even chosen my betrayer. I know it's coming. And with him, with Judas, comes a crowd. Armed. Clubs, swords, all from the temple guard, all sent from the religious leadership to say, no, we, we want this man dead, because it was prearranged. This makes one of the things that Judas did so terrible, because it was completely premeditated. Do you know, Ohio judges crimes by saying there's, two, there's different kinds of murder. First-degree murder, second-degree murder. First-degree murder, in order to get the death penalty for somebody, you've got to prove that it's first-degree murder, which means that person woke up in the morning saying, yep, this is time to kill this person, and I'm going out today to kill him, and I'm going to, here's my plan to kill him, and I'm going to do it. There's an actual plan and intent. That's first-degree murder. Second-degree murder is a little different. You still kill somebody intentionally, but there was no plan. It's like if I'm downtown robbing the Ritman Savings Bank, and I'm just, I just want the money. I, I don't want to hurt anybody. But all of a sudden, a guard shows up, and he pulls a gun, and I go, bam, and I shoot the guy. That's second-degree murder. I didn't go in thinking of killing anybody. It was non-intentional, but still murder. Then we have manslaughter. Now, first-degree manslaughter is a, prime, is a crime done where there is no plan, no intent, but it's done in the heat of passion. There were two people that were playing road rage in front of Joseph and I driving home once from Columbus just three weeks ago. They were jockeying their cars and driving so fast and unsafely, I just dropped it down to 50 miles an hour and says, I'm letting these guys get way ahead of me because I don't want anything to do with a wreck. When we finally pulled off at our exit, I looked over at the side of the road and here were the two cars parked. And here were the two guys yelling at each other. 
And man, all I saw was just all these fists going whiff, whiff, whiff. Now I had a bunch of guys all around me trying to go out there to stop the fight, and I'm just saying, they're just whiffing the air. Nobody's even getting clocked here. So, you know, let them just kind of work it out. And, you know, we'll stay here, and if somebody goes down, we'll make sure nobody kicks them. You know, but otherwise, just let them sit there and whiff the air. But they, they, they stopped them. See, now, if somebody would have gotten hurt there, that would have been, or killed, that would have been in the heat of passion, maybe more like manslaughter. No plan, no intent just happened. Then there's second-degree manslaughter. It's just an accident. No plan, no intent. I'm driving down the road, and somebody walks out between two cars. No way I could see him. I hit him. Second-degree manslaughter. Here, Judas is guilty of what the state, even our state, would call the most egregious and the worst of crimes, planning it out ahead of time, saying, no, I know my plan. I'm going to do this in order to kill Christ. You know, I'm going to hand him over. In one sense, it's a good way to evaluate how we sin. First degree sin. Man, I think I'm going to plan to have an affair. Now, let's see. Let me think of a target. Oh, yeah, yeah. This person, they would be good. Hmm. Yeah, they're fresh off a broken relationship. If I just come in as a friend, I might be able to work my way into a position where I might be able to work my way into an affair with them. It's, that's the worst kind of sin because you plan it out. There's no thought of the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's evil. You take that thought away from you. You know, kill it. Sacrifice that thought to Christ. Kill it. But you say, no, this is my intent. That's probably the absolute worst type of sin. Second degree sin, maybe like second degree murder. You have no plan, but you do have an intent. I'm going out tonight. I know I'm going to the bar. I don't intend to get drunk, but you know what? I intend to drink. And then too much, and on the way home, accidentally hit somebody. Then there's first degree, maybe call it sin slaughter, where it's done in the heat of passion. In the heat of passion, I'm working on something on the house, and that hammer hits my fingers. And words that I certainly wouldn't be proud of come out of my mouth. And I talk to a lot of believers that say, you know, sometimes when I'm in pain, when something really bad happens, or when I'm so frustrated and nobody else is around, things will come out. Again, sin. And each time, betrayal of Christ. Then second-degree sin, second-degree manslaughter. This is where there's no intent, it just kind of accidentally happens. I was out for lunch at a Wendy's about a year ago, Schneller. Drove into this hotel parking lot to eat my lunch, just didn't want to go in, just wanted to relax. I'm sitting there eating my Baconator, sipping on my Coke, and eating the fries, and I just see motion to my side. Well, here's the pool. And out comes this woman in a robe. And it's, oh, okay. Takes off the robe, and she's just scantily clad with a bikini to sunbathe. Well, I'm sitting there with the French fries going, 
Whoa. Sure didn't expect this to happen. I mean, I, I could move, but I really should finish my fries first. And it is a large Coke. I don't want to spill it on myself. Right thing to do? It's like Billy Graham said, the first look, nothing wrong. You can't help it. But when you take the second look, that's when sin comes into the heart. We all sin, we all fall, we all betray. And in that moment, even I betrayed. And are not all of our sins betrayal of trust? I will follow you. Lord, you are my Savior. I sacrifice my life to you. Everything bad, everything that would be unclean before, I give it up to you. And then take it right back into my heart. And all, of our, all our sins are betrayals of trust, betrayals of Christ. Many ways, just like Judas did it. Judas commits first degree betrayal here. This is the worst. It was completely planned out. Premeditated betrayal. And how much of our sin is premeditated just like that? And there was the kiss, the prearranged sign in verse 44. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. This had all been arranged. Now we think of a kiss and we think of, you know, like boyfriend, girlfriend kissing here. And we kind of go, oh, Judas kissed him. Oh, that's kind of gross. But... In the East, a kiss is just on the cheek, and it would be comparable to us having a handshake and a hug. When I came in this morning, I gave Tom a handshake and a hug. It's kind of like the ways that a guy could show affection, but it's not, haha, you know, the bad kind. <laughs> and that's what this was here. And I think that Judas arranged this just a kiss, just like going up and shaking hands. Hello. So that it wouldn't tip him off to the other disciples. It was a way to keep what he was doing hidden. And maybe that kiss would avoid retribution from the other 11. He wanted everything to look natural. And even Judas said in Luke twenty-two forty-eight. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? A sign of affection. You know, we come here to worship as a sign of affection to Christ. We come here to study the Bible to say, no, we, we want to conform our lives to your word. This is like a, how we are trying to show you, we're trying, Lord, we're trying. And as we sing... It's a sign of affection, a sign of worship. But this type of sin would be like, well, we'll come to church. It's a sign of affection for Jesus. But you know what? When I go out later today, man, I'm going to curse in God's name the person who messes with me on the highway. In one sense, if you do that, what's the difference between that and selling out Jesus like Peter did, like Judas did? It's betrayal. It's sin. Finally, Jesus is arrested. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. And when they seized him, 
They grabbed him. I don't know if you've ever been grabbed by the police and forcibly taken someplace, but they're not really gentle with you. It's not like they're saying they're being ushered in. Like one of our ushers says, oh, come this way. Everything will be fine. Just, just here, right? This is the way. Maybe a little pressure of the hand on the back. Just this way. Come this way. Walk this way. No, they violently grabbed him. Just like how a seizure grips an epileptic person, just grabs them entirely and takes control. They grabbed Jesus by the arms and took control of him. The disciples at that point react. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Well, we know from Luke, this was Peter that did this, and the name of the high priest's servant was Malchus. I mean, this is, this is serious. I mean, Peter here pulls out a sword. He was expecting trouble. The fact that Peter was even carrying a sword makes you wonder, what is he, what is he thinking here? Why, why is he expecting something? But Jesus had been saying, we're going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will, will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that's exactly what had happened. Jesus reacts. Verse 48, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, since you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching you in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Why the swords and clubs? I'm not leading a rebellion. I think he was talking to the guards to say, think this through, guys. I've been in public places for the last seven days, for the last five, five or six days, and nothing has been done. Why didn't you take me then in broad daylight? What's the idea of coming out here at night to grab me? Aren't, aren't you thinking to yourself, something here doesn't add up? Maybe he wanted the guards to think, yeah, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why are we doing this? But they followed their orders, and Jesus was submissive to the arrest, so that scriptures would be fulfilled. The scriptures, would be, the scriptures I think he was directly talking about were Daniel chapter 9, 25 and 26, where Daniel was told, No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. Essentially saying that from the time of Nehemiah 2, 1 through 9, where Artaxerxes told Nehemiah, go and rebuild Jerusalem, there were 483 years that passed to the day when this day in April 32 AD, 483 years later, the 69 sevens, that Jesus was betrayed and would be crucified and died and the anointed one would be cut off. Fulfilled prophecy, Jesus knew this and he knew that he was on a time schedule. It had to happen to the day. And this book is the only one out of all holy literature that has things like that in it, which are prophecies that are fulfilled to the day. If somebody asks, why do you believe that old book? Because it predicts the future. And then finally, everybody said, 
verse 50. This is where John Mark says as he writes this, Then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. Judas premeditated, no remorse at all for what he did. Peter, within the evening, he ended up denying Christ. He fled there, then followed at a distance, later denied him three times. The ten all fled here. And in Mark 14, just a few verses before, they had all said, after Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you forever. All the rest of the 11. Oh yeah, the rest of the 10 that were there. Yes, us too. We would never run away from you. We would never betray you. We would never desert you. And just hours later, all desert, all betray. Just like we say, Lord, I'm never going to perform this sin again. I'm never going to fall this way again. No, I'll never desert you. I'll never betray you by this sin. And then hours later, you find yourself in the same position again. Look at all these guys. Look at who they are. See where you fit in, because we all betray. We all sin. Peter, we know his story. He betrayed Christ three times or denied Christ three times, gregarious, extrovert, outspoken, natural leader. His younger brother was Andrew. He was the only one that's mentioned that was married. He was a betrayer. He not only ran away, but verbally betrayed Christ after saying in front of everybody, I'll never betray you. He betrayed Christ, a person that Jesus chose. Christ forgave him. Forgave him. Andrew, Peter's younger brother, early disciple of John the Baptist, wasn't a leader like Peter, but he was spiritually sensitive. He was there when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. He betrayed Christ and fled, deserted him. Christ's response I forgive you. He was forgiven. James and John, brothers from a family of means, sons of Zebedee, intense personalities. Jesus nicknamed them Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, because they were so vindictive. In Luke 9.54, they were at a Samaritan village that didn't want to hear anything Jesus had to say, didn't want to hear the gospel, and they said, Lord, let's rain down fire from heaven and destroy them all, scorched earth, nothing Kill them all. Intense personalities. John was more vocal. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. James, more withdrawn, but he was the first one that was ever martyred. The only one that's actually mentioned being martyred in Acts 12 of the disciples. They deserted and betrayed Christ. And because they had given their hearts to Christ, they were forgiven. Philip. Really, there's almost nothing there about him. He was quiet and analytical. He was Jewish, but we only know his Greek name. He told Nathaniel about Jesus. I'm guessing they maybe were in some kind of an Old Testament Bible study. He deserted and betrayed Christ. He fled. But because he had given his heart to Christ fully and failed, yet still Christ forgave him. Out of all the disciples, I think I mostly identify with Philip. 
quiet and analytical. That's, I would see myself more like that. You know, not up front, not the big leader, not in the inner circle like James and John and Peter were. Then there was Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew. And see where you fit in here. What personality type? Also called Bartholomew, prejudiced man. He's the one that said when, when, when he was told about Jesus, oh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Said that to Philip. Some people here have roots of bitterness against others. Prejudices. Maybe not racial, but maybe personality types. He betrayed and deserted Jesus Christ, but Nathanael truly was an Israelite in whom there was no guile, Jesus said. He gave his heart to Christ. He betrayed and deserted him, but yet he was a believer, and Christ forgave him. Matthew, also called Levi, the tax collector. Matthew had cash. He had property. He was a businessman. And he knew how to make money by exploiting people. But he followed Jesus on the first call. I think he, was, he didn't like his life. And he cared enough about all of his friends to invite them all over to a big dinner to say, I've decided to follow this man. He is the Messiah. Gave Jesus his heart, just like I have, and most all of you have, and then found yourself... I sinned again. I betrayed Christ by sinning. He betrayed and was forgiven. Thomas, Didymus, doubting Thomas. This person is, the glass is half empty. Now this person is definitely my wife. The skeptic and the pessimist. The, one thing, the first thing that Thomas ever said was John eleven sixteen when Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem. That's where I'll die. And Thomas goes, okay, let's all go too so that we can die as well. You know, no hope. We're all going to die. There's some of you that are like that too. Thomas deserted. But Thomas was forgiven, even though he had betrayed Jesus. James the Less. What a name. James the That's like saying average James. James not even average. Below average James. What a horrible name. All you know is, oh, he was the son of Alphaeus. He was also the son of Mary. He had a brother called Joseph. And that's all we know. He entirely worked in the background. He wasn't even known by who he was. He was just known by his relatives. And some people are kind of background people. They don't like being up front, don't like talking. He betrayed Jesus. But he'd also given Jesus his heart. He was forgiven. Simon the Zealot, nothing about him. He deserted Christ, betrayed him, and was forgiven. Judas, who is also called Jude, Judas the son of James, Thaddeus, total obscurity. Don't know anything about him. He deserted, betrayed Christ, was forgiven. And then finally, Judas Iscariot. Really, not much background at all. Nothing on his encounter with Christ. We know he wasn't from Galilee. John tells us he pilfered from the treasury and he gave Jesus Christ three years of his life. But he was never forgiven because he'd never given Christ his heart from the very beginning. And Jesus knew that. The eleven had given Jesus their hearts. And Jesus knew that. 
That's why there was forgiven, forgiveness, because there was a relationship there. And we're common people just like these disciples. They betrayed Christ and sinned. We betray Christ and sin. We're just like them. The 11 were forgiven their betrayals. And you know, we can also be forgiven our betrayals as well. Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 And sometimes we walk around with a load of sin on our Shoulders saying, I don't know how God could forgive me. I've fallen into this again. 1 John 1, 9, because if we say we have no sin, we have no part with him. Being able to admit it and say, yes, Lord, I, I have betrayed you again. Please forgive me. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are weak. So if those things are on your heart, which from time to time they're on the heart of every believer who finds themselves falling into sin. 1 John 1.9 should definitely be highlighted in your Bible or memorized if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, sin can, if it's not confessed, it can weigh on us and the guilt will be, as David said, like a rottenness in the bones. It will sap our strength and take away any desire to pray, take away desire to come to church, to be with other Christians, to read the Bible. And we often wonder, oh, how could he forgive me again? How could he forgive me for this? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, maybe right now is a time to say, Lord, I've... I have fallen. It could be lust. It could be a root of bitterness. It could be anger, coveting. I'd ask your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of everyone here, in my heart. To let us know that there is no reason to sit there and allow the relationship to create further distance, but rather to come to you, confess the sin, and have the relationship restored with a renewed commitment that the next time, as soon as that sin begins to sprout, that just like with a garden, we weed up that, that root of sin and toss it away where it can't germinate and, and grow. Because our problem is, is when we allow the sin to sprout, to grow, and to bear fruit. So, Father, we confess our sin to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions 
or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.